So today, the topic is true Christian unity is three-dimensional. And the scriptures taken will be taken from the King James Version Bible. So for persons who need to take notes, I'll give some time so that they can gather pens, pencils and notepads if needed. Right? So I'm about to start in the next two minutes. So, by now, some persons might conclude that I am totally against true church unity. But to be honest, brethren, I am totally committed to Christian unity. But that unity must be Bible-based. And if Bible-based, it follows, therefore, that that unity must be three-dimensional. Now, what do I mean by the term three-dimensional? To answer in the simplest way possible, it means a unity that is built upon the following three pillars, namely, a, a unity that is established by the fact that every believer is baptized by one spirit into one body. That is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. B, it must be a unity that is manifested by the fruit of the same Holy Spirit motivating each believer to love one another. That's John chapter 13, verse 35, John chapter 15, verse 12. And see, finally, it must be a unity that encourages all its members to rally around the truth of the Spirit, even the Word of God. That is taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Now, as strange as it may seem to some or to many, and as contrary to modern thinking as this may sound, Jesus never ever prayed for, nor even desired, that his church negotiate any unity. For if he did that, surely that would have been certainly contradictory to what he outlined in Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 2 to 3. For in those verses, he admonishes his followers to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we all agree, without a doubt, that one cannot keep what one does not have. Therefore, all the wrangle and tangle about Uniting the body of Christ must amount to energies expended in the wrong direction. Instead, we 
should be busily engaged in winning the lost at all costs and in rescuing the lots that have lived in the plains of this world, Gomorrahs, before the wrath of God falls. Now please listen carefully to what the Spirit of God is saying concerning this unity issue. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13. And again, and he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Because of these and many other scriptures, brethren, our Lord did not ask us to unite. Rather, he asked us to keep that built-in unity upon which his church was established. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3. This unity, brethren, is maintained by all believers living in peace with each other as Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 states. Moreover, it is further secured by his followers living in love with each other. This is called the bond of perfectness as Colossians chapter 3 verse 14 states. Now, what I mean, therefore, is that there exists a Christ-initiated unity between the saints of Tobago and those of Tokyo. Since by the same Spirit's baptism, we have all been made one in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13 because of this fact one can only become a member of the body of christ by the new birth not by christening nor confirmation or reception or by what other name you may choose to call it you either enter the church by the new birth or remain still born in your sins for John 3.3 outlines the mode of entry into the church. This single issue should be the first lesson of the church, unity, Catholicism. The second component of true Christian unity finds its rallying point in Jesus' utterance of John chapter 13 from verse 34 to 35. Namely, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. For by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. John chapter 13 from verse 34 to 35, or 1 John chapter 3 from verse 14 to 19. Now what Jesus was here saying is this. The proof of our discipleship will best be demonstrated by our manifested love for each other. To be sure, brethren, our loudest witness to this world that we are Jesus' disciples will be our manifested love for each other. Now, some enthusiasts of the unity movement are saying that if there is an organic union of the international Christian community, 
the church will be better able to witness to the world. Now, this point has some merits if we consider the financial benefits that an organic union will generate. But what about the message? Would the United Church communicate the same message? And if the answer to that question is yes, what will that message be? Would the United Church preach the gospel of salvation? Or would it be a social gospel that would cast a spiritual spell on its members? Would the United Church be willing to drop all its man-made errors and return to the faith that was once delivered to the saints? Brethren, the answer to the above questions can easily be had by observing the customs of those member churches which are most vocal about unity. Brethren, the world church shall be a cultural church rather than a Christian church. Now, what do I mean by the term cultural church? To answer that question, I must first define the word culture. Now, my definition of culture is this. Culture is a modern name given to an ancient religion whose main doctrine is the worship of the traditions or customs of one's ancestors and the glorification of the current achievements of a people. Now, this being so, the United World Church would be an international cultural conglomerate with a Christian veneer added for its Christian mindful adherence. And all the clamor of the love that Christ prayed for would simply be affectatious mumblings to deceive the unsuspecting. Now, why should we kid ourselves into believing that by coming together in an organic union existing church, problems would be solved? Now, this is even more true when one considers the fact that most, if not all of the member churches that are clamoring for union have their own unsolvable internal problems. Now, if they are unable to cope with their domestic problems how shall they be able to deal with the greater united problems now your answer could be as good as mine that would be an impossible task neither should we be fooled into believing that mere acts of kindness as desirable as they may be are proof that one is manifesting the love of christ for in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter of the New Testament, it is plainly stated that it is possible to give all of one's goods to the poor or even give one's body to be burnt and still lack the God kind of love. As mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. Now, this is certainly so when one remembers that one can use an act of kindness to soften one's clients into reciprocating some later kindness. Now, if the above be so, and we all agree that it is, 
it must be evident that the love Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17 and later explained in Ephesians chapter 4 and that of our ecumenical friends must be poles apart and must never be treated as similar issues. For the love that Christ prayed for is an overflow of the love of God in the believer that finds expression in acts of loving kindness towards each other. On the other hand, the love that the ecumenists are speaking of is nothing more than the love of self. This is verily so. For if they fail to love God enough so as to disobey his word, can they really love his offspring? The love talk, brethren, that must be a sham and amongst to a marriage of convenience. Moreover, it is predicated upon the fact that the unity is strength. Therefore, survival is the name of the game. Brethren, when I say that the second component of genuine Christian unity is the manifested love of God in the believer, I am speaking about the love of God that flows from the spirit of God and permeates the human spirit so that it expresses itself in unselfish acts of loving kindness to each member of the body in particular and also to each member of the human race in general. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. This, my dearly beloved brethren, is the second component of true Christian unity. Finally, but by no means less important, we have the third component of true Christian unity. This aspect I call the unity of the faith or the unity of the doctrines of the church as Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 states. Now this aspect of Christian unity is of extreme importance for it is the area that enlightens the believer concerning his rights and responsibilities in the church of Christ. Moreover, the doctrines of the new covenant provide the cleansing detergents by which the believer is made pure and fit to meet his or her Lord. John chapter 15 verse 3, John chapter 17 verse 17, and Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 to 27 confirms. Moreover, the word of God is the vehicle through which salvation is communicated to each individual in the body of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23 to 25. From the above scriptures mentioned and other scriptures, therefore the importance of the truth of the Spirit, even the word of God, is evidently established. Still on this aspect of Christian unity, even the unity of the truth of the Spirit, meaning the word of God, it will surely do all of us well if we were to observe that in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13. Now, Christ is not at all advocating a union of all shades of Christian faiths. Instead, he is pleading that all his followers subscribe to a common faith, 
even to the same doctrines. This would ensure that all Christians everywhere adhere to the same instructions in righteousness. Rather than subscribe to a multiplicity of different doctrines, dogmas, and creeds that are the norm in Christendom today. Therefore, in order to ensure that his church inherit a common set of instructions in righteousness, after his ascension to heaven, Jesus gave gifts unto men so as to ensure that his church submit to one set of similar doctrines worldwide. Thus, it is written in the epistle to the Ephesians, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, which is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 to 13. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 to 13, therefore, is undeniable proof that Jesus not only desires that his church subscribe to a common set of doctrines, he took steps to ensure the maintenance of that unity, as the above quote clearly indicates, and to confirm what was said about the first set of Christians converts is indeed relevant. Now, the testimony follows. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And what was the result when the earlier set of believers in Christ practiced the above? Let the Bible speak for itself. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. Acts chapter 2, verse 43 to 44. Brethren, when the body of Christ returns to the apostles' doctrines and practices, as recorded in the Acts of the Apostles, the Epistles, the Gospels and in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the spiritual spin-off will be a return of reverential fear of God among believers. Signs and wonders following the believers and the manifestation of genuine love among the believing community. Therefore, the importance of the unity of the faith even the unity of the doctrines of the church is evidently highlighted and established for all times. And it was for this very reason of ensuring the maintenance of the original doctrines of the church that the Apostle Jude admonished the saints of his day to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude chapter 1 verse 3. Moreover, for that said reason, 
The Apostle Paul warned the church that the time was going to come when many would not endure sound doctrine, but instead would rally around teachers having itching ears who would teach things to satisfy their followers' sinful lusts. Yes, brethren, teachers who would turn away their ears from the truth and instead would subscribe to fables. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 to 4. And it is for this very purpose of maintaining the unity of the faith that the Apostle Paul left Titus at Crete to ordain bishops and deacons to ensure perpetuation of the truth. For there existed those whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things they ought not to have taught for filthy lucre's sake. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, meaning the doctrines of the church. Titus chapter 1, verse 11 to 13. Right? I just paraphrased it, but on your own time, please read. And time since, such were some of the measures adopted to ensure the maintenance of the truth of the Spirit, the Word of God. This surely highlights the importance of the unity of the faith and for the maintenance of the truth of the spirit. The Apostle Paul rebuked the Apostle Peter for what appears on the surface to be a simple matter of the choice of one's eating partners. No brethren, much more than the choice of the Apostle's eating companion was at stake. The issue then was a doctrinal one that had to be dealt with then in order to avoid far more disastrous consequences later on. For Peter's refusal to eat with Gentile brethren struck at the heart of the fundamentals of the faith. Even the unity of the body of Christ, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13, Romans chapter 12 verse 5 or Colossians chapter 3 verse 11. Those are a few references that you can read on your own time. Now how strange it is today, brethren, that those who are most active in promoting church unity pay little or no regard whatsoever to the maintenance of the apostles' doctrines. To be sure, they are willing and even eager to sacrifice the fundamentals of the faith on the altar of expediency just for the sake of Christian unity. How strange. Make no mistake about it, brethren. The cries for the Christian unity today have a strange babelic ring. This tells me that the end of the unity pilgrimage will be chaos. And time saints, we must never forget about the body of truth that has already been compromised in the march towards a united Christian church. And we will do well to remember that compromise on issues as important as the true doctrines of the church will sooner rather than later end in disaster. For the compro, C-O-M-P-R-O, in compromise will surely be replaced by they 
D-E. And great shall be the demise of this present unity movement. Brethren, compromise is a very small seed called expediency that grows into a large tree whose fruit, when eaten, always result in the destruction of the partaker. And time saints, children of the better covenant, Daniel would not have given a second thought to the Unity Now movement. He would have rather opted for a second night in the lion's den. And as for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would have shouted, O ye ecumenists, we are not mindful of your unity offer. Be it known unto you that our God is able to take care of us, but should he forbear, be it known unto you that despite your ecumenical might, we will not unite. But not so for our last day's unity, enthusiast who seem to be more concerned with numerical potency and survival strategy rather than divine approval. Their cry seems to be, let us close ranks and unite now. Let us present a united front to the world for unity is strength. We can deal with doctrinal issues later. Now, while their rallying platform may produce preliminary benefits, the fallout will be disastrous indeed. Beloved brethren, the unity of the church is not an item for the negotiating table. We must either be willing to be confirmed into the body of truth that was once delivered unto the saints, or we will surely deny the truth. If the apostle Peter was still wrong, he would have commented on the unity movement. Thus, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 20 to 21. Moreover, the Apostle Paul would have had this to say on the negotiating aspect of church unity today. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 to 17. Brethren, based on the scriptures just mentioned and read, it must be quite clear to all that any Christian unity that is not word of God oriented must be man invented and man oriented and must, M-U-S-T, and must be rejected. Brethren, God is a God of unity with harmonious integrity. He is not a God that will sponsor unity based upon petridation and expediency. For the unity that he ordained and asked us to maintain is not one that is bipartisan, but three-dimensional. And in order to establish and maintain this unity, Christ created a united body. 
Thus the apostle assures us, for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. And again, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Brethren, defines the first component of true Christian unity. What I just read, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. That defines the first component of true Christian unity. And this aspect of Christian unity is called the unity of the Spirit. Then there is the outward manifestation of the invisible indwelling Holy Spirit in the heart of the believer. This fruit, the old King James Bible calls charity. On this issue, Jesus had this to say. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. John chapter 13 verse 34 to 35 or 1 John chapter 3 verse 14 to 19. This aspect of Christian unity I call the, is the unity of the manifested fruit of the Spirit. And finally, we have an established unity that is rooted in a universal compliance with the truth of the Spirit. Even the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13. On this aspect of Christian unity, the Apostle John exclaimed, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in the truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that, as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Second John chapter 1, verse 4 and 6. Read also 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 for charity. For clarity, sorry. So, 2 John chapter 1, verse 4 to 6. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 for clarity. Now, in time since, this third aspect of true Christian unity is of extreme importance and impacts upon the very survival of our holy Christian faith. And for that reason, brethren, no compromise in the area of church doctrines should be tolerated. Because we know these things, brethren. We must agree that true Christian unity is never bipartisan, but three-dimensional, compromising as it does of, comprising as it does of, A, the unity of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. A unity that is manifested by the fruit of the Spirit. John chapter 13 verse 34. 1 John chapter 3 verse 14 to 17. 
and C, a unity that is based upon the truth of the Spirit, even the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. So based on the scriptures that I just gave, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, John chapter 13, verse 34, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 to 17. Brethren, we must all agree that true Christian unity is three-dimensional. So that's the end of my segment. I'll be live next week again. So please have a safe and productive week. And remember that Jesus Christ loves you. So bye for now.